Strategic Hot Box with Dr. Brandy Love Stankovic. Discussing leadership, business, and how to take control of your life and achieve greatness. It's time to kick some ass. Hey, it's your girl, Dr. Brandy Stankovic, here on the Strategic Hotbox. I'm your host and the Chief Strategy Officer at CU Solutions Group. And woo, I love this diversity, equity, and inclusion topic. In today's episode, we're going to use real-world situations versus the hypotheticals to uncover the complexity of diversity and talk a little bit about generalizations. And generalizations of Blacks, Hispanics, and Asians fail to capture the diversity within these cultures. And as we continue to look at systemic equity, is breaking the rules more harmful than a step in the right direction? We will debate the bandwagon of allyship. I believe that the bandwagon of love is always better than the bandwagon of hate. What do you think? But we all agree it's time to move the needle from performative to effective. Let's check it out. But as a female, as a lesbian, as a whatever, we're all these people who are living the double lives to support the straight world, straight white world. To make, you, you, to you also just, make you feel comfortable. Right. You right. Just, Correct. You, I was fighting battles where my counterparts were being promoted, getting the opportunities that I knew I was qualified just, just as well for. And so what did I do? took those words and I started putting suits on because it was giving me a slight advantage of walking into a room and being recognized by what I was wearing. That's cold speaking. So I, I agree and I remember last year after George Floyd's murder, everyone and anyone and everyone came out and made statements and I'm like, my goodness, you think these are the original abolitionists? when their actions were not there, in my opinion. But the more that I thought about it, the more I'm like, you know, at least we're having the conversation. And if, but if we don't push the rules, we don't bend them, then we can't change them. You know, if it's law, is law, is law forever, then none of us would vote, and none of us, you know, we have to push and bend and push, and it takes rebels to do that. But that is the accountability check that social media and yeah. video phones and everything else like that has now provided a vehicle for <laughs> Remember when I said, oh, at ACUC, all of our meetings, we start on time and end on time. That's deliberate, because the stereotype is, mm -hmm. black people are never on, never time. on time. One of the best things Kevin Martin ever said to me, he said, I love that you respect people's time. We start on time and then I don't care if you're in the middle of mid-sentence. If it's two o'clock, boom, it's over. Because that we, I say it, and I hate having to say this, we are a black run organization. We will never get a second opportunity to make a good first impression. So we have Very to work true. in excellence. Absolutely. That's pressure. Yes. Yeah. But this is what I was gonna start to say after your previous comments. Why do people of color feel like we have to live a life of duality? We have a professional life where we feel like we have to put on this face to represent our people well, right? And then we have our private lives where we feel like we can let our hair down and be real, right? But 
do do white people feel like they live a life of duality? Well, it depends. I think, in all fairness, it depends. It's bigger than race on that, or yeah. different than skin color, epidermis on that. Linda and I were having that same conversation in one of our recent webinars about CU Pride, in saying that there's like a a a straight way of acting, and then there's a you know, so it it, it bleeds across right, diversity. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, there's no. I mean, I sleep in this basically. I'm just like one, I'm one way, you know, everywhere. I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know how to answer that question. And being a white man is going to be different than being a white woman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I simply don't know. Um, it's more for my foul mouth is where <laughs> I have to, to well, cross the man energy. Or, or, or the Because society and, and methods and everything has been built by straight white men, every part of our life mm -hmm. is to default, right. to live up to that. So mm -hmm. as a straight white man, right. you have not experienced any of That is so true. But as a female, as yeah. a lesbian, as a whatever, we're all the people who are living the double lives to right. support the straight world straight white world well, to, make you, you, to you also just, make you feel comfortable right you right. just Correct. you sure. just yeah. you so, just got that thought right out of my head it's like so when i walk in the building i am a good morning <laughs> hey oh hey girl like it's not when i walk out my house i'm right. what is going on right. you know what i'm saying like <laughs> it's different it's code switching it's mm. different yeah. rooms that you go into you are happy you got to be a different person to make that other person feel comfortable Andrea Finley is one that introduced me to mm -hmm. code switching. If y'all have never heard her speak on Oh, that, she's good people. Um, the suits. Mm -hmm. I grew into this. But in my banking world, I got the compliment of being able to excel by an older white man. and say, son, you keep that up, you know, it'll take you places. But I was fighting battles where my counterparts were being promoted and getting the opportunities that I knew I was qualified just just as well for. And so what did I do? I took those words and I started putting these suits on because it was giving me a slight advantage of walking into a room and being recognized by what I was wearing. That's cold switching. Mm -hmm. But then it turns out Doggone it, I just like to look good and have yeah. yeah. nothing to do with the power feel. or yeah. the, 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 the advantages. I liked how I looked in the mirror with the suit on. Mm -hmm. So, but it came by way of having to look the part and play the role so I can be recognized, which was totally unfair to me. And it's also in, in looking to ad admire someone. Right? Someone that we love and admire and wanting to be and emulate whoever it is that we love and admire. And whether that's the CEO who happens to, to look a certain way or whether that's being more dominant and aggressive in a governance meeting, because that's what I have to do. Or like when my little son Andrew with the super long hair wanted his braids done like Kawhi Leonard because it's he's obsessed with him and it's who he loves and admires. And then is that acculturation? Is that, you know, all these different misappropriation is... Or is it just Andrew wanting to look like Kawhi Leonard? And, and then we're just adult versions of that. So I'm officially... Would you like to read our next? There's only a few, a couple left. 
Rainbow Bandwagon. 2021 was the most rainbow-filled Pride to date, but many in the LGBTQ community denounce it as rainbow capitalism and performative allyship. Allies are expected to stand up and voice. Do you support the bandwagon of rainbows, or should people stop capitalizing on the trend? Well, that's a fastball coming right out of that. Yeah. 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 Okay. I had a full stomach. <laughs> that's such a fine line with anything, though, right? I, I like, just where does activism yes. stop and, yes. you know, over commercializing something begin? I think, I think it's hard. Um, to draw the line, yeah. right? Um, I think one of the things in regards to this is we're also forcing our allies to be defensive of why they want to be allies. Why do you, ally, belong here? As opposed to it just being okay to stand up and support and have a voice and fight the front line with others, you know? Uh, I, in this particular argument, am of the the opinion that I, I'd rather see a bandwagon of love than, than a bandwagon of hate. And I believe in that. And so is the first step for organizations to, to capitalize, maybe, as long as it goes deeper, but better than to deny that it's even, that it's even important. So I, I agree, and I remember last year after George Floyd's murder, everyone and anyone and everyone came out and made statements, and I'm like, my goodness, you'd think these are the original abolitionists, when their actions were not there, in my opinion. But the more that I thought about it, the more I'm like, you know, at least we're having the conversation. The same thing with, you know, the rainbow and pride. I remember before Linda talked about this, uh, the underground... I had never really heard of a credit union really doing much, you know, with this. Um, there were some some exceptions, uh, but aside from that, that was not something that was done. And I was really happy that this year, just last month, there were a lot of credit unions that put out statements, that put out rainbow things in their in their social media for for Pride. And and I thought it was it was a step in the right direction because. We're not going, you know, we're not going to get anywhere if they're if we're not even talking about these issues. I think there's a tipping point for these types of things, and it's possible that maybe last year was that tipping point, um, and maybe that was accelerated by um, what has happened in our country in the last four years that turned us into people hating each other instead of living as a civil society that loves everyone. And I think people took a stand and again with being out and proud about who we are and knowing people, knowing they're in your family, they're in your credit union, they're in your society, people and allies especially, they got it. I have so many more allies than I used to have who are really taking stands for this. So, um, in 2021, you're right, there were a lot of credit unions that finally stood up and took notice. Now, are, were they pandering? I don't know. I don't think it matters at this point. If they're putting the rainbow up, that's great. But I think it's a start. It's a starting point. Whether it's real or not real, we have to go with that. We have to foster it or, like, your seed thing. 
the seeds are going to die. If those are real seeds, we're going to foster them and let them grow. So it's been, this past year has been awesome. And again, love, not hate. That's what's going to, to build it and make it grow. Can I pass the ball down to that end? There's two left that we really want to hit on. <coughs> The majority of Hispanics are U.S. born, and Latino immigration has been declining in the last decade. Yet some Hispanics, whose family roots in America date back centuries, are still asked, especially if they have dark skin, where their family is from. Where were you born? One side argues Latinos don't assimilate and continue pride in their subculture, causing the majority's lack of understanding. Others believe it is inherent racism. So I'm just going to add something that we talk about in education is, you know, we're teaching kids not to say, what are you? Because growing up multiracial, I was asked that question a lot. What are you? So we are now teaching them more to be interested in the person themselves and to say, where are you from? Or where is your family from? Instead of, what are you? Um, so I think that is kind of a little bit of a mixed question. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. And I know not necessarily specific to Hispanic, Latino, but I have definitely been in a taxi or been in an environment, re retail environment, whatever, where I met somebody that I, I could uh, I assumed from language, accent, behavioral components that this is a new place of residence. And I have definitely asked, where are you from? Or where's your family from? And that's one to me that I would just love to know what individuals think is, is the, the right thing or the, the preferred thing because it, it certainly can come in a very loving way, but if it isn't received that way, what do you guys think? I think intent is always important, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Where intent is always, yeah. Does it make it feel any better, though, for the person receiving it? It does. I mean, I, I think if, if you were to ask me where are you from, I wouldn't be offended at all because I know you and where you're coming from. If a complete stranger said that to me in kind of a negative tone, I would be standoffish and be like, where are you from? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I think intent matters and knowing somebody's, you know, where they're coming from. If I'm talking to you over the phone and I go, are you in Sri Lanka? <laughs> I mean, I would be like, what? So um, my partner, my wife now, uh, we adopted a black child uh, when she was just an infant. So this black child has two white moms. And when this black child was a little baby, people loved to come up and say, oh, where's she from? Um, Arkansas? <laughs> oh, no, no. What country? So assuming that our child came from another country. Now that might just be an adoption stereotype. However, it still 
felt not good, especially mm -hmm. total strangers coming up and saying, where are you from? Where is she from? Right. Um, so just a, a little different perspective. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, I think, does it really matter? Like, do you need to know what a stranger, you know, where a stranger's from? Like, you know right. what I mean? Like, why the curiosity? Like, I think if someone's passionate about their, you know, they will tell you too. Sure. At some point in the course of the conversation, like, oh, I mean, I'll tell you, my parents are Dominican and I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, you know, and I will probably initiate that at some point because it's something that may be relevant to the conversation we're having. Um, so I think there's also that, it's like, why, why were they so curious? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why did they need to know this? I think, I think it probably is just they, you know, don't, they don't know how to strike a conversation so it's like an obvious question to them will spark something more maybe does that make sense yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. yeah. so I'll ask this question although it not be the best question just to spark something right. so, and we're all coming from being kind-hearted individuals right so it's sometimes part of unconscious bias is recognizing that other people could have a bias and I know that I felt that way, like I've grown up in more of a metropolitan environment, I've grown up in more of a, you know, just a metropolitan environment, and nonetheless, I will forget that other individuals, or just not be aware that other individuals didn't grow up in the same way. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's, that's hard part about it too, because not everybody is coming necessarily from a good place in some of our assumptions, or the right intent, and sometimes it's even hard to read the intent if I'm already sensitive. Right. Ms. Renee, would you read our last? Shua. Except for I don't have my glasses, so maybe you get to see. Oh, I can't. Derek Chauvin was sentenced to 22.5 years in prison for the murder of George Floyd, eligible for parole in 15 years. The sentence exceeds the Minnesota sentencing guidelines range of 10 years and 8 months to 15 years for the crime. Justice served or should be, should be eye for an eye or excessive punishment is in order to make a statement. So the questions are, was it justice served or it, no, it should be eye for an eye or no, excessive. I don't Obviously. think it was excessive. I'm sorry. No, 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 please go ahead. I don't think it was excessive. I think us as I think us as the black community, we were kind of like, eh, okay. We don't expect much because we don't ever see results. Mm -hmm. So when when it got to the point to where he actually got sentenced, we were like, okay. I mean, 22, probably get out in 10 on good behavior. Sadly, that's, that was, you know, my so it, it doesn't feel like enough. No. That's just me. Because I don't think they'll serve as full 22. Other thoughts? Eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. So, eye for an eye, I think he was a writer. Even Christ himself, like, turned that whole phrase on its head. You say for an eye for an eye, but I tell you, turn the other cheek. So, that, I want to push that part of the argument to the side. Did he, does, is that as good of a justice as I think we can expect right now? Absolutely. Is it, I think what, I think it's better than what could have happened. Because if you read the original statement from the, from the Minneapolis Police Department, 
Med- George Floyd had a medical event during the police stop. That was their original written statement, saying there was a medical event and he passed away. Nothing in there about an officer kneeling on his neck the night for eight minutes and forty-six seconds. The 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 original statement from the Minnesota Police Department when they when George yeah, Floyd when was they, originally died before the video came out. That's what they their statement said. said a, a a man in custody had a medical event and he eventually passed away at the hospital. Yeah. Had it not been for the citizen journalism journalists doing that cell phone video there, we would have never we would not even be talking about George Floyd right now. And so when I think about the wheels, you know, the 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 was arc of justice is long, but it bends. The arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I think that, like, kind of echo what you said. I think it is, it is half a loaf, but it's better than the crumbs we would have gotten. Right. It's better the it's better the anonymity in which George Floyd would have died. Right. But it's still we still have a long a long way to go. I just love the fact that you just said we. So that's. That right. alone speaks a lot of volume right there. But I want to focus on the term that was used a lot with being uh, one small victim. That was that was a borderline discussion uh, that was going two ways. Um, you know, there was some angry. Now at that point, there were some very angry black people, um, and the one small victory was not enough to that specific group of people. But when you look at the years and years and years of, you know, events like that that happened, one small victory seemed to be one toe in the right direction. So, again, depending on how you looked at it, you know, I'll take that victory if, in fact, it will lead to more smaller than larger victories going forward. As outraged as I am, at what happened to see that they to see that I don't want you to bend the rules so if the Minnesota laws state a certain thing then he should have been sentenced within that which would they govern he just said an eye for an eye makes us all blind if we bend the rules that that state has I should he be? Should he? Should he have been sentenced to life? Absolutely. However, that's not their judicial system. So why are you operating outside of the judicial system? Please remember, I am outraged, still hurt <laughs> by what has happened. Right, right. But the facts are, they went somewhere. So to me, that's just as bad. They're not following the rules that 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 government set up. Which means they could have done more. Exactly. So if you're going to bend the rules, then bend them. You did no one a favor by extending it the four or five years, or the the half of the 12 years. You did no one a favor. So now you're changing the laws. But as she said, you said 10. You were generous. It'll be five. five. He'll be out in five. Mm -hmm. And, but if we don't bend the rules, are the rules ever going to change? And that's where systematic and, and systemic racism come to play. But the system was built for him. Right. There's people who had a little bit of marijuana who look like me. And they, they'll, they'll be in there for 30, 40 years. Or it's a three-strike situation. It, 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 there's so... 
We need to be grateful for the toe. Absolutely. So we're grateful for the toe. But, and, what about all the other people? Mm -hmm. We watched Rodney King. Someone asked me, well, is it going to change? Heck, yes, it's going to change. Because too many people saw it. Mm -hmm. And when Kevin Martin said to me, or to the group, the DEI Collective, when he said, just imagine if that were me underneath that man's knee. And I wept on camera. I just wept. Because Kevin, Kevin, Kevin's mother and, and I are the same age. That could have been my child. I, my, my stomach gets in knots when I'm stopped by a cop. When that light goes, I pull over and I'm intending to. And I'm a black woman who's probably got on pearls. And a lot of people watch Rodney King also. I watched it. And yet it's almost like, and maybe society wasn't there yet, or it's almost like because he was a drug user, it made the behavior okay. I'm not saying I believe this. I'm saying that message is out there. And in what's transpired very publicly in the last year, there were not fallbacks where people could blame other things. And, and it being out in the public line, it relating to different people in different ways, all the individuals that were out there, and we all know there were more that weren't in the media. And I think the more people that know, the more that are aware how uncomfortable it is watching the different videos. And if, but if we don't push the rules, if we don't bend them, then we can't change them. You know, if it's law, is law, is law forever, then none of us would vote, and none of us, you know, we have to push and bend and push, and it takes rebels to do that. Did anything happen to the person who killed Breonna Taylor? No. No, something happened to the person who shot into the apartment next door. The, uh, kind of a very tragic coda to the George Floyd story. The uncle of the lady that filmed the George Floyd murder. His yeah. uncle, that uncle, died uh, because an off-duty police officer, or a police officer was responding to a high-speed chase, hit him and killed him. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. This just happened last week? Yeah, wow. just last week. And so, you know, we think about justice, and we think about how, you know, the toes in the water. For every toe we move forward, we see so many things come back. Um, if you ever Google the word, the, the, if you ever Google Rachel Nichols and ESPN, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Rachel Nichols has been taken off the NBA Finals coverage. Rachel Nichols is a white reporter for making comments about about a black co-host of hers um, getting her opportunity because of a diversity initiative at ESPN. That's why, and Rachel Nichols said, that's why this woman got this job, this job that I was meant to do. She got this job because she's black. But outwardly, Rachel Nichols has been very supportive of, of diversity and inclusion efforts. But when she had this conversation, the only reason people knew about it was because she was talking to somebody else. Her Zoom cam that was still going back, that was still transmitting her signal back to ESPN headquarters, was still recording, never stopped, recorded that private conversation she was having with an agent, I think, of LeBron James. 
record that conversation, goes to ESPN servers, an ESPN employee hears what she says about this, records it, sends it out to the company. And it's raised valid questions of allyship and how performative is it? How much do white people act? What do they really think when the camera's on them? Mm -hmm. And I will guarantee you that there will be at least one person watching this video who will question my intentions for being here. And Andy can talk like this here. What's he really like in this hotel room? What's he really going to do for folks like Cedric and you and you and everybody else? Is this all just a show? And what's you think that? so? You think so? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely, I do. Well, and I and as much as and I would. I personally welcome those questions, but for every one of those questions that I will get, I know there will be people out there going, he doesn't really believe that. This does, it's, and, and this conversation is not going to do a damn thing. Oh, I disagree with that. Well, I mean, I, I, I that's understand. That's where I'll step now. <laughs> yeah. but, but, I, but I know that that's where, I know this, I know, I've been around people enough to know that that, that people will think, yeah, we talk about George Floyd, we do this navel gaze until the cows come home, but what's this... What's, what good is this really going to do? And that's where I'm kind of thinking the voice of the audience in my head right now. Talk about this all you want to. What is it actually going to do? Well, I think that one of the purposes of being here is to create a platform for extended voice, right? Yeah, and, and, and like I said, I get up just rhetorically. And I think that's we haven't what had you're enough, saying. Nearly enough tough questions to answer. My challenge <laughs> to all the people that you were that you were talking about there, my challenge to them is use your passion somewhere that makes a damn difference. Yeah. And if people would just quit bitching for one second and actually use a little bit of that energy to do something, we wouldn't even be here right now. Like, it's like when we, and but I love that she was caught off camera. I love that. Because then that is just an, an example of, of her, you know, speaking her mind when she thought she could be authentic. And that type of pretending to be something outwardly and performative type allyship is, we do want to cut through that bullshit. Yeah. But, but that it, is the accountability check yeah. that social media and yeah. video phones and everything else like that has now provided a vehicle for. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, 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 and for Rachel Nichols, she was celebrated for being one of the females to do that particular job right. on a national scale. But instead of her embracing Maria as another female, it was the, it was the black girl that got the opportunity so, over right. her. And it's just... So was the reaction Becky or Karen? Uh, I, I, here we go personally again. I won't, I, I don't think it was I, Karen. No, I, think I, it was, I think it was more of, we need, this, we, need I, a, we need a level set. Is yeah. Right? Karen and Becky are. I mean, I think I've heard Karen, Karen thing, but no, I don't. I don't know who Becky is. Other than just, just the good hair. Yeah, just the, just, just the, the typical white girl, mm -hmm, period. Mm -hmm. Not the one that's gonna throw the race card. I, I honestly don't believe that she attacked her from a race standpoint because she did work hard to be the thing. female thing. Uh -huh. But do you think the, it was a you think it was white privilege then, or just or just a, is, just a person? Well, but she gave a reason. 
Because I, I, I don't know anything about this. So, she, are you guys saying that she gave a reason? The reason why the lady, the other, the black lady got the job over her was because of the diversity initiative? Yes. And, so and what? I, and and I, but her, so what? her argument was, I've worked so hard to get to this So they go somewhere else. This is my job, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this, this, don't this give it to her just, just because, because she's, right. because you want to fill the diversity slot. Yes. Because I have worked my ass off to get to this point and you're only you're going to give it to her just she was actually slandering espn for right. not having their stuff together right. on diversity right. and inclusion so but a lot of that people engagement are saying, was it took a spin yes it did. and that's back to the point we we're making earlier at sometimes being a good ally is getting out of the way and i think that like the something she, she could have done mm-hmm. is stepped aside and say now is not my time I will have a time, I will continue to have a voice, I will continue to support DEI, but now is not my time. And now is the time for others to have growth and, and a platform, whatever that they look like. I think that's, that's sometimes being a follower is much more powerful than being a leader. That's more than being a follower though, that's being selfless exactly. and generous, right? And um, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Brandy, like that's another example of women you know, defeating other women, bringing other women down, whether it's a woman of color or not. It's, um, it's not. Diversity to me is about accepting and loving each other from all walks of life. It's an opportunity to learn from our differences and not let those differences divide us. It's time for your top three kick-ass. Here we go. Here are three things that you can start doing differently today. It's time to execute on your DEI. Number one, uncover the why. When implementing change to systems and cultural artifacts, when you're digging up all the muck of the cultural artifacts, be intentional, be thorough, have a plan, and ask questions. Get to the root, determine the why. If you don't have any women in leadership, why? If you don't have a diverse candidate pool, why? If you don't have any openly gay staff, why? Because these individuals exist. They just don't exist for you. So why? Number two, choose love. Hey, if if you're gonna hop on a bandwagon, let's let it be love. Allyship is uncomfortable. Let's move to love and acceptance and and celebrate and educate for stronger, effective allyship. Support your allies for goodness sake. If somebody is out there fighting for you, say thank you. Number three, make room for authenticity. Many people lead double, triple lives every single day, changing their outward expression and interaction for other people. Be a safe place for people that can, so they can interact and be their their authentic self. Make room for people to be themselves and require it. Use pronouns, celebrate traditions of others, practice good manners, allow people to be them. There's your top three kick-ass. Coming up on Dissecting Diversity. What's a model minority? Asian people being smart. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's been my experience, though. 
but it's not an okay stereotype because not all Asian people are smart, and it's it's a hard stereotype to live up to uh, if you are not that person. Kind of. As a same I gender, I don't couple, think this happened. As a same gender couple, is this together? How many oh. straight couples get is this together? Oh, yeah. Wow, you don't get that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's together. Yeah, so I can't tell you how many times that mm. happened. Are you guys oh. on separate tabs? Yeah. Are you two sisters? That's the other. You know, the first thing, you know, and that happens in interviews. The first two minutes of an interview, an in-person interview with anybody, is basically you've already decided on them. The other 58 minutes is you finding the evidence to support your bias. Fear of becoming what I want to be because of the obstacles that might be there. And you and I had this conversation. Fear of, fear of the knowledge that I'll give in the process. Um, but I can honestly say, going back, if we're going back to that question, there won't be any fear. I'm going back fearless. I think it's easy to procrastinate uh, what needs to happen next because of fear of your audiences. Because who knows? What if they say no? Or what if they what if they say yes? Then what do I do? Learn, love, kick ass.